what is the experience that's going to really differentiate any connection between a business and a customer? What's the experience that really is going to look and feel great in the future? And that's simple. That's taking away the complexity. That's where we get a feeling of sophistication. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Hello and welcome to Status Go. I'm Alicia Geba, VP of Marketing at InterVision, and I have with me today a special guest, Norman Guadagno, Chief Evangelist and SVP of Marketing at Carbonite. Thank you for joining me today, Norman. I am thrilled to be here, Alicia. It's a pleasure. Today we're going to be talking about why in this digital era you need to be paying more attention to how you're protecting and using data. And then even more applicable and exciting, considering my role and Norman's role, is how marketing and IT can come together and be more powerful partners in helping drive organizations forward. So with a lot of years in the high-tech space. Norman's got experience having worked with the likes of Microsoft, Oracle, and Boeing before joining Carbonite. Um, So Norman, you've lived at this intersection between technology and data and marketing for quite some time. I have, and it's it's definitely an interesting intersection because people often think that the, the two things don't really have something to do with each other, but it turns out that they actually have everything to do with each other nowadays. And when you think about this, and I know we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but when you think about what marketing does, which really is just connect with customers, and then when you think about what's the most important thing that every business is dealing with today, which is customer data, protecting the privacy of customers, interacting with customers, all of a sudden you see that everything collides together quickly. And that's really where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know you personally have a really deep passion around privacy and security. And, and I've heard you talk about, I know you're an advocate for why every single individual needs to be intentional and aware of how they're protecting themselves, their data, certainly their company's data. So I think we'll have a really fun talk about all of those things today. I also know you've got this mantra around simple is the new sophisticated. Can you elaborate on that yeah. a bit? I, I love when you say it. It sounds so much better than when I say it. Yeah. <laughs> it never quite comes out as nicely, but the uh, uh, that notion of sort of simple as a new sophisticated is uh, there's a few things when you want to think about that. First is let's all acknowledge that we live in the most complex and confusing world ever. And if you're a technologist or if you're a marketer or if you happen to be both, like uh, I suspect both you and I are, Alicia, mm-hmm. it, it is it is truly the most complex universe imaginable. Right? Think about all the tools that we use, all the ways in which we connect. Think about us as individuals. Right now on your phone or my phone, we're connected to probably 20 different cloud services all sort of tracking our information, signing in and out. And Mm -hmm. what 
what's happening is that it's becoming a little overwhelming. So when you think about what is the what is the experience that's going to really differentiate any business, business function, any sort of uh, connection between a business and a customer, what's the experience that really is going to look and feel great in the future? And that's simple. That's taking away the complexity. Uh, that's where we get a feeling of sophistication. And it, it's not having so many knobs on your your machine that it looks impressive. It's having a machine that's invisible and just does its thing. Mm-hmm. And and that's where we want to we want to move towards. And uh, I think sometimes just about if we if we think about our our own uh, mobile devices, right? We all have an iPhone or an Android device, and we have dozens upon dozens of apps. And depending on how you manage your apps, they're stuffed into little folders and or little groups. And uh, some people have dozens upon dozens of groups. And, and if you have a sophisticated model, you have dozens upon dozens of pages of dozens of groups. That is anything but sophisticated. That's like being a librarian, <laughs> trying to find something and finding ways to cut through that. And, and a prime example of that is why, why are we investing so much money and so much time and effort in voice-driven experiences? Because they're super simple and intuitive. It's just they don't quite work as well as we'd like them to work yet. But there's a driver behind that, which is one good voice experience removes you clicking and finding and tapping and logging in and doing all sorts of other things. And that's what people are hungry for. Yeah. And the amount of reliance on data to make any of those highly sophisticated and simplified experiences happen is really tremendous. It Um, is. And it's, and when you said that, I, I sort of flashed on the notion of like when, when you think about voice, for example, which is interesting as a as a conversational sort of trope, if you will, for us to use here, even if it's not necessarily that interesting to us in our own sort of use of technology. But when you think about voice and when you when you ask your assistant, whether it be Siri or Alexa, who's going to wake up as soon as I said that, and uh, you are going to say, do X. But that is not only, that is an implied, you know, you're logged in, you're implying context. It's going to search a bunch of data and it's going to do it in a way that is absolutely triggering dozens of different APIs, triggering dozens of different lookups. If you buy something, it's giving, you're giving an implicit authorization to charge your credit card, data upon data upon data upon data. And to me, that is just stunning in, it, in its power and stunning in the potential power to have it be used for malicious intent mm-hmm. as well as for good intent. Yeah, I think if, if anyone steps back and thinks about how much data is being collected on and acted on in the world, you know, it's, it's really overwhelming. And so it does put a lot more pressure on needing to be protected. So let's talk about that because I think we are, the pace at which things are changing as it relates to technology and data and malicious behavior, um, it's just rapid. It's 
almost overwhelming. So let's talk about that. How how would you describe that world that we live in and the new pressures that that puts on us as individuals and organizations? Yeah, let's 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 look at it through a couple of lenses as we as we think about that, Alicia. Because when we think about it through the personal lens, uh, it feels one way, and we think about it through the or look at it through the business lens, it, it feels a different way. Uh, and and I'll start with the personal lens. And I'll use an example that actually just this week, there was a piece in the New York Times, which you may have seen, I highly recommend it. And uh, these researchers tapped into the public feed of a camera in New York City, I believe it was in Bryant Park, uh, if you're not familiar with New York City, Bryant Park is right behind the library. It has a big lawn. And uh, the, the camera, which I think has been up for 10 years, was put there to show people whether there was space on the lawn to sit. And it delivers a public feed. Using publicly available feed and public APIs, these researchers then went and took the feed, ran it through publicly available identifiers and were able to identify individuals walking around Bryant Park based on the fact that their photograph was in a database somewhere that was publicly available. And they did all of this in about an hour. And then they were able to say, okay, I know who this person is. They went in, they zoomed in on that person, they identified that person. And then of course they did what anyone would do who's going to write a, uh, a piece for the New York Times as they went and they talked to that individual and said, how does this make you feel? You were wandering around Bryant Park and we identified you and were able to zoom right in and we knew when you were there, who you were. And that person justifiably said, ah, that's pretty scary or whatever their direct quote was. That is the reality of the world we live in. If researchers can do that with publicly available APIs and databases in about an hour, when you think about the power that governments and businesses have when they apply resources and time, privacy is somewhat of an illusion. So we as individuals have to rethink our relationship to privacy. We have to rethink what are we willing to give up and what are we willing to, what do we want to protect? That is one end of the spectrum. Then you think about businesses and all the data that a business collects intentionally or unintentionally on its customers, its partners, and others. All of that data has to live somewhere. How is it protected? How is it secured? How is it being destroyed? That's one of the things that GDPR introduced was the ability to, quote unquote, be forgotten by a company. Businesses now have untold amounts of power and therefore a new responsibility to in fact attempt to respect the often unspoken privacy needs of individuals. And most businesses are absolutely either failing completely or just now beginning to understand what they should be doing. And, and I want to just rewind for a second there because something I said there is, is a key way to think about this. Businesses have an obligation to respect the often unstated privacy desires of individuals. 
right? Somebody else is stating those, whether that be a government body or advocacy groups. Most individuals don't even know that they should be stating their privacy wishes unless they're explicitly asked. So this tension is at the root of why technologists and marketers and lawyers and everyone else is thinking nonstop about how do we structure our technology and our collection of data and our use of data in a way that will respect the needs of the business and respect the often unstated but implicit needs of our customers and other individuals. And if you want to talk about something that's highly complex, it is that. It is absolutely that. It's, you know, you really have to be able to put yourself in the other seat and think about it and and think about, to some extent, what's the minimum of what we need so that we can be respectful of these people as individuals. And you said something when you were telling the story about Bryant Park, one of the things that stood out to me is I remember when the Facebook 10-year challenge was going on and seeing the memes <laughs> of, right. you know, is this just Facebook trying to improve its facial recognition over time? That's a prime example of, from a business perspective, Facebook is trying to improve its operations, potentially, right? Who knows if that's what they were really trying to do. But, um, you know, if you look at it from their side, yep. they're they're trying to deliver a better experience, have, have better sense of data, improve their systems. But on the personal level, it feels a bit intrusive. It does. It, it, you know, it's such a great example of not fully understanding what it is we implicitly consent to mm -hmm. when we do certain things. And that's a beautiful example of it. And people now need to become more aware of that, more aware of the use of their, of their data, their image to authorize, to uh, get something sold to them, to uh, do all sorts of interesting things. I, I, like many people, use a use an iPhone. I use facial recognition on there. And, and I learned an interesting thing is that even though I've trained my facial recognition to recognize me with or without my glasses, it actually doesn't work very well without my glasses. And I did a bunch of experiments on it. And this is purely my experiments. Uh, I'm free for Apple to tell me I'm an idiot, but uh, my experiments have demonstrated that it must be also looking at something to do with the way my eyes focus. Because if I take my glasses off, my phone will typically not recognize me. If I take my glasses off and put contact lenses in, my phone will recognize me. And so now I have this interesting situation where, for all intents and purposes, my, fa my phone knows me as Norman with glasses or Norman without glasses with contacts, but it won't recognize me as Norman without glasses or contacts. And, and I'm constantly thinking about what that means in terms of all the different types of data that might be available. And if I were to go on the lamb, I'd have to do it without my glasses and without my contacts, and I'd keep bumping into things. To me, these are all the new ways in which we think about the use of data in every different type of situation. It's so amusing to hear you say that because from an Apple perspective, they're already telling us how healthy we are. Now you've just given them a new business idea. They can tell people if they need yeah. glasses or not. 
based on how their eyes are looking at them. <laughs> That's right. Oh, like, well, you know, maybe you need better Yeah. So it's clearly an interesting world in which we live. I do feel like you brought up GDPR. It's something that is really stating the way things should be naturally. You know, you can you can read it and say, well, shouldn't all businesses be doing these things? And and aren't these things all so obvious? But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we we do live in a place where people move fast. And, and are they all really thinking about these things? Well, if not, there's a framework now. So you're going to think about them. But right. it, it is a, a very interesting thing when you look at GDPR and, and data privacy and the, the situation where there is so much data being collected. It's so complex, complex for an individual to even think about where might all of my personally identifiable information be, let alone the businesses I would need to go get it removed from if that was a desire of mine. And then from the business perspective, there's truly a lot of complexity involved in even adhering to some of the basic principles that you think, you know, should be obvious for businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so, and as you said that, like we ask ourselves the question, yes, it is complex. Absolutely. Something being complex does not excuse a business from doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 that's important because the fact of the matter, it is complex. We spend a lot of time here at Carbonite ensuring our GDPR compliance. And, and we have implemented, I think, a really top-notch system for privacy and for how we monitor and how we work with it. And you know what? It was really complex. It involved a lot of people, time, and investment to fully understand everything that we were doing. And it adds time. Every single every single contract that we have to agree to now is it has to go through that lens. And it can be frustrating as a business because it does add time and expense. But that's not an excuse if ultimately we want to win the the confidence of our customers and our partners. And and that, uh, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, when we talk about uh, this notion of simple and uh, behind every simple experience are layers of complexity and sophistication and investment and time and thoughtfulness. And making that happen every single time requires a lot of people working together and orchestrating an approach to privacy and security and data protection within an organization. And it also requires, I think, just a a degree of, of humanity. Customers are people. They're not simply just data in the database. And if at some level you are not treating customers as people, as humans, then you're going to you're going to do something that's probably not going to be in their best interest. Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is a great segue because you've mentioned a couple of different ways how many how many functional people have to come together to really look at data privacy and protect those individuals. 
I know that when you're looking at something like GDPR, you're looking at data privacy, that tends to be a very obvious place where technology and marketing truly do have to come together. So let's talk a little bit about that, just in terms of your view on the partnership between technology and marketing and and specifically around this topic that we're talking about. Yeah, I and I think that that does bring it to a, a sort of a real crisp focal point is thinking about privacy, thinking about GDPR, thinking about the role marketing plays as the way in which you communicate with your customers and partners, but also typically the place where you own the data about customers and partners and interactions in the uh, in the MarTech stack. And then you think about IT often owning a whole other set of data stacks, and that may be partly due to what they do with the accounting group or a general ledger or uh, invoicing, right? So they are supporting a whole set of these things. And they're also typically IT and or the CISO or others in an organization are concerned with the security of the business as well, which actually overlaps in here. And then there's a, a third element in here, which is an important one not to overlook, which is the the element of the the legal team who are key partners, in fact, in this process. And this has to start with putting the customer at the center and each of those teams, marketing, IT, legal, and anyone else who needs to be involved, look at the, the, the ins and outs, the gives and takes, the, the, the way in which they give to and take from that customer and their responsibility. My responsibility in marketing is to effectively communicate to the customer, but also to be able to sell and market to the customer now and in the future. The legal team has to protect the rights of the business and the legal rights of the customer. The IT team has to be able to provide security for the business, manage the data workload, be able to issue invoices and other things, but at the same time uh, wants to have a robust data infrastructure. Setting that out on the table and really beginning a, an honest discussion around what are we going to do to meet the needs of these customers, these humans, uh, and meet the needs of the business, uh, you quickly get rid of a lot of the, the we don't know how to interact with each other and talk about, okay, let's talk about the fact that maybe we don't even have a single view of the customer today. We don't even have a single view of every interaction the customer may have with us. Oh, wait, we need to get customer support or client services involved in this discussion. Oh, wait, we need to get this team involved in the discussion. So it becomes a, a great forum to start to bring those pieces together. And, and because marketing in particular has become such a big consumer of technology, because we have a voracious appetite to take customer data and analyze it and parse it and then throw it back out into the world and see what happens. And we get so much real-time data from search and other things. Uh, it all of a sudden, IT shouldn't be afraid of what we can do with that data, but should look at us as another source of finding a single way to look holistically at the customer, at the business and the things we have to do. I think you're spot on. And when you think about that partnership between marketing and IT, 
really stepping back and focusing it on the customer, the client interactions, what's best for them, that I think creates a really strong bridge between the technology and marketing functions. Because I know at InterVision, you know, you talk about a voracious appetite for technology. As marketing leaders and marketing practitioners, we really do. We want to know more than the competition. We want to be more responsive than our competitors. We want to provide the best experience. That really is very reliant on data. And this, this grouping of marketing, technology, legal, and then making sure that you're not forgetting these other touch points, I think those are all really, really valid. And it does make you think, should everyone in an organization be thinking about data privacy? You know, this, it should be top of mind because it's personal and it's also about um, the organization as a whole. Right. Right. And let me, I agree 100% with that, Alicia. Let me slightly rephrase the last thing you said, because it's super important. Everyone, you said everyone should be thinking about data privacy in the organization. I agree. But if you rephrase it into Everyone in the organization should be thinking about the customer. And when you think about the customer, you have to think about what is that customer's experience? Are we respecting that customer's right to privacy? How are we treating that customer's data? Are we giving value back to that customer? So when you cast it in the notion of there is no function in the organization that should not have a view on the customer and should not attempt to piece together the customer as a as a real individual in many cases, sometimes a business, but all of those things come together and, and privacy is, is perhaps one of the hottest issues right now. And, and GDPR is great because it forces us to look at this. But in fact, the net net of GDPR is it also forces us to look at a lot of other systems and views on the customer and probably clean those up as well in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you're saying. So knowing we've got a lot of IT listeners for this podcast, I think it'd be great for us to kind of come to a close around this idea of clearly that was a really strong call to action. You know, let's all be thinking about the customer. That'll force us to be thinking about the data, the data privacy. But do you have any other tips for IT leaders who want to forge a stronger partnership with marketing and and vice versa? Yeah, I think that first and foremost, IT, IT, unfortunately, in some organization doesn't get the respect that it deserves, honestly, because it's like, oh, we're all doing IT now. What's IT do? Uh, and the reality is that IT plays a critical role, typically, in tying systems together and ensuring that there is a, a clean flow of data throughout the business. And I think if IT comes to marketing or the, the marketing ops people that they may work with and understands a little bit more about how marketing is thinking holistically about the data that comes in, the data that goes out, how we think about our customers and their behaviors, it might help IT be able to better build systems or integrate systems to accommodate that for us. We're not asking for new technology and marketing simply because we like new toys, although occasionally we do, where we're usually asking for it because we want to get better, as you said, at knowing more, being faster than the competition. So I think that's one way in which we can see this partnership uh, be stronger. I think IT teams need to understand that uh, they serve a, a critical role in 
often being gatekeepers to systems. And they should take that responsibility very seriously, but they also should make sure that they're not simply sort of draconian gatekeepers that never lets anyone in, uh, but that they have an understanding of the why another team like marketing may want access to a particular part of data or might want to share or not share access to specific types of data. And, and I think the flip side of it is that uh, the marketing team needs to better understand the reality of no matter how sophisticated our MarTech stack in most businesses, it lives in the context of a much bigger technology stack. And if we in marketing don't have at least some top level and usually much deeper understanding of that bigger technology stack and where it's going and why it's built the way it's built, we'll often make bad decisions because we don't have enough information. So marketing has to reach out and better understand the IT stack the same way IT needs to reach out and understand the MarTech stack. And, and, and again, if we all think about the customer at the center, and, and the customer is, of course, a bunch of data, but it's also so much more than a bunch of data, and we all hold joint responsibility for that, uh, we can get better at moving ahead and thinking about why we invest in the types of systems or processes or outcomes that we may invest in. Well, I could not agree more. This is, I, I also couldn't think of a better way to end on this podcast. So Norman, this has been a delight. It's been a lot of fun. We've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything before we close off that you'd like to add? It's been a wonderful podcast. I'm really excited about this and hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, ab absolutely. And just first of all, thank you for inviting me. I, I love having the discussion and having such great sort of questions to spur this discussion. Uh, and thanks to, of course, to your listeners for listening. And uh, I'm sure having strong opinions about many of these things. None of us knows the perfect right answer yet. I don't think we ever will. Uh, the way in which we get better and better at the things we've discussed at respecting privacy, treating customers as humans, having an integrated viewpoint across different teams is through constant communication, iteration, and learning. And, and I always just encourage everyone to look at everything we do as an opportunity to learn a little bit more and get a little bit better. And I think that really sums it all up for me. Uh, and it's been a great great topic of conversation today. And I, I love drilling deep into this because it's top of mind for everyone right now. Well, thank you, Norman. And thank you to our listeners. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.